This episode has been brought to you in part by the Azrieli Music Prizes. Join them in celebrating artistic excellence at the AMP Gala Concert, live from Maison Symphonique in Montreal, happening October 20th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Orchestre Metropolitain will premiere award-winning music by laureates Aharon Harla, Iman Habibi, and Rita Ueda. Learn more at azrielifoundation.org backslash AMP. Hi everybody, I'm Ralph Benmergi. Welcome to Yehobitsville, another episode of Yehobitsville as we bounce around the country and occasionally the world to talk to people in small Jewish communities. Uh, today we're going to talk to someone who is in Quebec City. And uh, I don't, we haven't really done very much in the province, La Belle Provence of Quebec. So uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Uh, Debbie Rootman is my guest, and uh, she is someone who has moved to Quebec City in recent time and uh, found herself in uh, a bit of a position of helping to resuscitate, I would imagine, uh, a Jewish community in that city. How are you? I'm great. We're already into fall, so... Boy, <laughs> don't, don't even go there. <laughs> well, my theory is if Yontif is late... We're going to have a nice September, so. Oh, all right. I like your theory, because it is, well, <laughs> late, you know, it, it's all relative. Um, so, uh, what, you moved to Quebec City because your your children married Quebecois, is that right? That's correct, yeah. So, and what is it that you found when you got to Quebec City in terms of a Jewish community? Well, we had inquired, you know, six months, a year before, and every time we came to visit about the Jewish community. And at that time, they had um, a paid CEO running regular activities, you know, um, so it was quite active, uh, although very small, about 25 families, um, most of them from away. Um, but there was a lot of activities, and I always feel going to a moving to a new community that the synagogue is my tribe, and the same prayers and are my comfort zone. So immediately um, got involved. But a uh, few months after we got there, the um, the paid uh, staff there was no money left. <laughs> so. Um, Basically, and then COVID hit, so it was quite a long period of uh, inertia, really. Um, and I've always been really involved with my synagogue and my sisterhood, and I love organizing things and feeding people. So the only programs that happened over that those two years or three years now was um, when I decided to plan something like a Hanukkah party, and uh, we did a, we planned Purim, but then COVID hit, so it got canceled, um, and then COVID hits. So I took over the newsletter and have tried to get the people together as often as I can, and slowly, slowly, um, we have, we have 20 members now, 20 paid members, but um, having lived in four different Jewish communities of different sizes across Canada, this one was the most unique. Every other community I went to 
people were thrilled to have us, welcomed us, and um, came together as Jews to do something Jewish. And Quebec City is very unique. There's only a few native Quebecers, families that, Jewish families that are still thriving here. A lot of them left in the, uh, when the referendum came around in the 70s or was it? 70s, yeah, 76. Yes. So a lot of them left for Toronto, which of course is the largest Jewish community now. Um, As with any small city, when the children went off to university, they rarely came back. So that that being said, it's, it's almost a complete changeover, except for three sort of three or four families that actually are from Quebec. Um, there's a huge um, amount of the congregation that are working at University of Laval. So um, and the other thing that was really an opportunity was the majority of the congregation is French-speaking and Sephardic. So that was something I had never really um, come across. Mm. So a huge, diverse population, you know, some of the members from France, Mexico, um, yeah, and yeah, so very you've few. Got, so how do you accommodate the Sephardic uh, part of the congregation? It's not, they don't do the Ashkenazi things. So no, they no, well, what? Well, since I've been around, we've tried to embrace it. So, in the begin, when I first came, all these different tribes, um, there was a lot of divisiveness and infighting. If this group planned this part of the program, this group didn't show up. You know that kind. Right, right. So, as I say, I found it very upsetting that we weren't standing as one. And um, I think the mood was that these differences were something that separated us, whereas I see the differences as a huge richness. Um, so now, well, first of all, we, we do have Sidur with um, Hebrew, French, hmm. uh, and we do have some Sidur with English and Hebrew. So when we do do a service you know it's always in in the english one it's page xyz and in the french one it's so and hebrew for everybody so you're right the tunes are a bit different um but as we've celebrated the holidays um one of one of my well most of the people that are uh that i know in in the congregation now are are sephardic so i i love learning about the traditions um, because they are so, and, and when we have a potluck dinner, I mean, the food is amazing. <laughs> so, and of course, it's all about the food. Yeah. So there's a, you got there, it was small, there's a COVID part to this as well, obviously, but there's also a kind of factionalism. Of, we mm-hmm. do it this way, we do it this way. What is it that you were able to do as somebody who involved yourself with the congregation? How did you put yourself into a position where you you could find a way for people to come together? Well, as I mentioned, it is all about the food. Um, you know, and, and plus there was also a, a wide range from people who were Orthodox and people who were Reform, and that was another challenge. Um, so 
I think it started out with the Hanukkah parties and potlucks bringing people together. Um, I came from Vancouver, Temple Shalom, where we had, you know, it is reform, but highly traditional. And I tried to pick some of the programs that worked for us. You know, we used to have in the summer, we used to have Shabbat by the beach twice in the summer, which was amazing. And, and so I guess one of my first summer programs was um, Shabbat, a Kabbalah Shabbat in, in our backyard at the synagogue, which is quite substantial. So, um, you know, we usually get around 25 people out to a program. And then, of course, Hanukkah, we, um, we did have um, a Hanukkah. I guess we couldn't have a potluck because of uh, the first year we had a Hanukkah party. Mm-hmm. So again, I met some of the people. It was potluck, and we made, you know, goodie bags for the kids. I'm always scanning the internet, internet to try to find uh, something for the kids, and watching for golden coins at Walmart every week in in the <laughs> fall, you know. Um, but finally, uh, I got someone from Toronto to to uh, mail send them. You, to, send you some gelt. Yes, exactly. So, and then we, that first year, there was an intercultural program. So we made 400 latkes and went to this international program, which had some First Nations, it had some Muslims. So everybody kind of had a table, and, and that was cool that um, we could yeah, get out. Yeah, I was wondering about community. that, how much, how much you interact with other faith organizations. Is that important well, for you? Um it is important down the road, but right now we have to get our act together in the synagogue. Um, what is it? What do you mean you have to get your act together? Well, we have to have a strong enough base in the synagogue to be able to go to these programs, right? Uh, and represent them. So we, you know, at the time when there was the bombing at the temple, the Sikh temple here, or the Muslim temple, um, the Muslim the temple. at that time, I wasn't here. But um, the Jewish community was in full support and, and was able to help them. So we do hope to, down the road, to outreach into the community more because we're a bit hidden. And with the history of anti-Semitism um, and what I think it is more xenophobia in Quebec, people are pretty low-key uh, mm. if they're Jewish, um, rightly or wrongly so. You know, that being said, at our first apartment, our mezuzah was ripped off the door three times. So then we finally gave up. But, uh, and people, yeah, so there is a bit of a caution. And it comes from lack of education, I think. Um, so we are planning, once we build our community a bit more, to outreach with education. You know, um, um, in years past... Um, they did have a Seder that they opened up to the community and there were 60 people. Well, half of them weren't Jewish. So, you know, maybe we'll work our way up to that again. I hope um, that we can do that. But right now we've, uh, and we are planning and applying for grants for a Holocaust memorial program next April. So we are looking towards that. What is it about you that makes you want to do this kind of thing? Because people move to different places, Jewish people, and go, well, if it's, if there's something going on, I'll, I'll, I'll get involved. But 
they're not the one who feels they need to do it. What what makes you need to do this? Um, I guess it's my my um, commitment to Judaism. Um, you know, at, in in the beginning was that when I was trying to do it and working with these factions, and I'd have to get permission from this one and make sure this one wouldn't be offended. And so in the beginning, it was it you know a bit of aggravation. Everybody's got their opinion, and each Jew has two of them. Um, so it was a bit of a, an aggravation. And, you know, my husband said, you know, what do you need this aggravation for? You're retired. But, you know, the bottom line, it's, it's my tribe. It's my community. This is, these are the people I feel comfortable with. Um, and I guess I've always been a doer. I mean, I've been a volunteer since I was a brownie. And when I was, every, every congregation I went to, into I was very involved um, and I love feeding people so and um, Temple Shalom I mean I don't like I don't believe in joining a club just to be a member I want to do something right so you know when I was at Temple Shalom I was um, in sisterhood for the 35 years and I had every position from secretary to president and all the way back you know, over those 35 years. Um, I yeah, don't know. So it's, and it's part of your DNA, I guess. You I grew up uh, Orthodox in Calgary, is that right? Yes. So my family was Orthodox. They educated the four brothers, but not the, the girls. Um, so as soon as, you know, my mom and dad passed away, that was the last time I was going to be behind a mechitza. Right. You know, so I'm more egalitarian, which is something we are bringing to the uh, congregation here in Quebec because I think most synagogues to survive have to go that way and have already. We're just slow on the uptake. And I have to mention that um, Chabad, uh, they hired a Chabad rabbi about five years ago, but um, he said he would go by our way of orthodoxy, but as it turned out when High Holidays came, the Mechitzo came down so that relationship ended but um hmm. he started his own Chabad house <laughs> so we yeah so the few Jews that we do have you know they can barely get a minion and we can barely get a minion um so uh but they've don't been you very get, don't you get frustrated by this sometimes because it's like you talk about your tribe is important to you but it sounds like there's also you know in a tribe, there's tribes. Oh, yeah. There's huge tribalism here, for sure. So there's the Orthodox ones. There's the intellectuals. There's the Israelis. I forgot to mention that. Hmm. So they're very different. Yeah. And have very different expectations. Um, and do you well, have that, a rabbi now? No. We um, we bring, um, we rent a rabbi <laughs> from <laughs> in Montreal. So we've been very lucky how did we end up? I, I guess um, uh, we bring um, Rabbi Shahar Ornstein mm -hmm. from Montreal um, every two months or, or you know, it would be nice to have it monthly in order to lead services. Um, and he's, he's got a guitar. So we brought music back uh, into the service. Um, so the first time he came was the Kabbalah service. Uh, out in the backyard and so he's um, 
you know, the children love him. And he brought more English into the service. And um, most of the people are leaning towards reform. Um, but we still abide by, you know, we don't want to offend anyone. You know, we don't light the candles before dark because there are people that don't agree with that. We still don't have music in the sanctuary, but we do have it in the social hall or outside. Um, and we have a very learned um, member in the community who has since May been giving Hebrew classes, adult ones, and uh, for the children. We had our first bat mitzvah two weeks ago. Mm, that's what's yeah, and now there's just going to be a string of them. So we have, um, you know, quite a few young families. We've got seven kids under the age of six so far, but there's a few more out there that I'm going to try to involve. And one of the mothers has volunteered, volunteered to do a mum and tots group. So we want to appeal to everyone. We're going to zoom in with um, Rabbi Ornstein for a Parsha class because there's been... Uh, a request for that. Um, the, there was a volunteer who would, went to Chicago, though, a year ago for his master's, who used to run a monthly um, educational program in French um, on Sunday. So again, that satisfied the intellectual part of the community. So we are going to go back to doing those um, once a month, those Sunday informational sessions. So, you know, we're growing, you know, we, um, and trying to throw spaghetti all over the walls and see what comes. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it sounds like you need a whole bunch of different strategies to make one thing work, right? It's not yes. just one solution to, to all the different um, challenges that you have. What future do you see for this community? Well, um, after listening to your podcast last week about Jewish centers... Um, a small, small town Jewish, small town Jewish life. Yeah, that that gave me hope. That was the um, that was a shot and arm that I needed to see that it can be done. Um, you know, Rabbi Rachel, you know, working with eighteen members and five kids at Hillel and building a model that worked mm-hmm. and intergenerationally, which was which was very cool. I mean, we haven't um, reached out to Hillel. Well, there's, I don't know if there even is a Hillel, to the Jewish students because Chabad has been doing a pretty good job of that. But Is it frustrating to have to compete with Chabad? Is it frustrating? Yeah, to have to like compete for souls with Chabad. Wouldn't you just prefer that everybody work together? Of course. But they just won't. Well, um... I don't. I. I guess it's probably um, um, the fact that it's still patriarchal. That um, you know, the fact that the 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 bat mitzvah girl was rejected by Chabad, although they were members there. So that's why she came to us because she could have a bat mitzvah. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, it would be great that we work together, and we actually do. If it wasn't for Rabbi Lewin at Chabad, we wouldn't have had any Passover goods. Right. So he, um, you know, we put in the order with him and he schlepped it from Montreal. So we do, we are talking, of course. Um, but, and of course, it would be best to 
build our alliances with Chabad, you know, and that should come before we go out to the larger community too. Um, so are you it's, it's not going to have high holiday services. We are. So that was the other thing. Um, the first year I left, there was a Mexican standoff, you know, about the about high holiday service. So the person who usually did the high holiday service didn't bother planning anything. And it, of course, everybody was expecting. And so there was nothing when we came. So it was basically a, like a workshop service. You know, do you know this prayer? Do you know this yeah. prayer? Um, and last year, um, no, I guess it was, well, there was, I guess it was during, um, during COVID where actually um, Rabbi Ornstein was collaborating with three other renewal rabbis and doing an online service for the high holidays. So this was his home base. So we could be there live, which we were for Rosh Hashanah, and then the restrictions got so bad we couldn't do high holidays. Right. In fact, yeah, he had left his equipment and Talis here for months because he thought he was coming back. Right. Um, so this year I got on the wagon in April or May and asked the rabbi about high holidays. So we're we're um, he's splitting his time between here and Montreal. So we're very lucky to have that. Um, so we have him for the second day of Rosh Hashanah, Kol Nidre, and the following uh, day uh, morning of Yom Kippur. And the other thing I should mention that there's tremendous um, musical talent in our congregation. You know, we have one uh, woman who is operatically trained. So that the first, um, the first, uh, the workshop, uh, Kol Nidre, she mm -hmm. sang Kol Nidre with another member who she was working with. So um, she's actually getting our are, she'll be doing it this year, but she also is very active in, in getting us to learn the songs, and we've now printed a songbook, and I don't know that we'll ever have a choir, but um, it's good to have someone who has that expertise, um, so she's one of our valuable volunteers, and, and we have a young family um, who is, you know, very motivated because they have children under the age of four and he's a master student so he does have time and he's going to get highly involved with planning and reaching out to the university students which you know yeah it's interesting right because with a small community like that people do actually have to do some, everybody has to do some heavy lifting you can't just sit back and what do you got for me i like the rabbi i don't like the you know you don't get any of that you got to either be in or out right right well, we'll just take the participation for now. Yeah, <laughs> just absolutely. show up. Absolutely. Just show up. And well, attendance is everything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, in that, in parenting, and everything. If you show right. up, you know, it's a better thing. Um, I, 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 I must say, when you talked a bit about the anti-Semitism there, I found out that that's, that's hard to hear. I, I don't know what you can do about it, but... It's, it's. I guess maybe it's really important to make sure you keep the community alive because you, you can't be intimidated by it, right? No. No, I mean, it's not overt. We haven't had, you know, it's not like Montreal where they defaced synagogues, etc. But 
Um, no, I, th I think it's really in Quebec, it's an otherness, you know, more xenophobic. I mean, I thought it was just anti-Semitism, but now I see that um, I'm going to get in trouble for saying it, but Quebecers don't, I mean, look at First Nations, look at how they treat other communities in this province. Um, mm. And of course, with the Bill 21 mm -hmm. and Bill 96, it's, you know, it's created this problem to hire a rabbi in Montreal because their children would have to go to a French school. I mean, not only are you trying to get Americans here with our lousy Canadian dollars, but their children have to go to school in French. So it, it is a problem. There's two congregations that are looking. Um, so the, serv the, <clears throat> the service that you guys do, is it conducted in French and English as well as Hebrew, or is it mostly French? What is it? Well, it's mostly Hebrew, right. but people follow along in their individual siddur. Uh, Rabbi Ornstein is bilingual, so he does give us instructions, or if he gives a drosh, he does it in both. He does it in and, both. Yeah, right. and the same thing for um, Michael, who who is uh, from Mexico. So, yeah, it's it's so rich, really. Yeah, beautiful. And you get and, good food. How can you put yeah. it and we're learning the Ladino tunes. Oh, do you do Enkelohenu the Ladino way? That's, I think we did. Enkelohenu, Enkelohenu, Enkemokenu, Enkemoshienu, Dom como nuestro Dios. That's a lovely one. That is. No, and we actually sang one of our songs in Spanish, one of, on, our, on our song sheet. So that was cool. Yeah, you're speaking my language, literally. <laughs> <laughs> That's it's a lovely right. thing. Well, listen, I think it's fantastic what you're doing, and I, I really admire the fact that you don't sit there waiting for somebody else to do it. You, you everywhere you go, you you, you plant the seeds and and grow the and grow the tree. I think it's a wonderful Thank thing. Thank you. Well, I can't just stand by. You know, it, I mean, I think it says in the Talmud. You know, when I did get frustrated, and it is, you know, what do I need this for? What do I need the aggravation? I could go do something else, take mm -hmm. up painting. But, you know, as a Jew, you can't stand by silently. And this is a historic um, community. I mean, the first, um, uh, it was incorporated in 1908, but this we're on our third synagogue location. And in the cemetery, the graves go back to like the 1800s. And there is the uh, story about uh, there was a, the first Jew that landed in Quebec in the 1700s was actually uh, a woman who dressed as a man. So it was a yentl, but they found out and sent her back. Wow. So it, it, it does have an amazing history. And, and that's another thing, um, one of the programs that I'd like to do. I mean, there's a member of our congregation that wrote, co-wrote the history of Jews in Quebec. So uh, it's it's in French. I haven't read it, but um, I'm trying to urge him to be one of our first speakers about uh, the history here in Quebec. Yeah, and there, you know, there's um, there's a a lot of leaders that came from here. I mean, um, Maurice Pollock. That is very, you know, his name's all over the community here. But you know, he's been in Montreal for years. Um, so there are people that have come out of here. Well, in Montreal, they have 
the Spanish Portuguese synagogue, which is yes. 400 years old, like yes. they had one in New York as well, because the uh, Sephardic Jews from the Netherlands, from Amsterdam, came came across to New Amsterdam, New York, and to Montreal. Ah. That's why you have these old Sephardic synagogues uh, that well, predate the Ashkenazim coming. So it's very it's you live in a very rich place. I think you know, lovely. I was just I just went past there about a week ago. Well, listen, I, I hope that you have a, a wonderful high holidays. Thank and, you, you uh, too. You know, continue to do this this great uh, community work, and uh, just have a great time. I'm, I'm happy you're there. Thank you. Thank you. Debbie Rootman is in Quebec City, and uh, what's the name of the synagogue? It's Congregation Beth Israel Oheb Shalom. Nice. So it is, it also you, is there a short form for that, or do you just say Beth Israel? What is C-Bios. it? So we do have a Facebook page. Our website needs updating, but <laughs> looking for a volunteer. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you'll find one through this. But, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so thank much. You. Thank you, Ralph. This has been Yehobitsville, sponsored by Pear Tree Canada, reducing the after-tax cost of giving for Canadian major gift owners. Learn more at peartreecanada.com. I'm your host, Ralph ben Murgy. Our producer is Michael Freeman. Our music is by Louis Samayo. And if you want to travel with us across this great country, visiting more small Jewish communities, subscribe to Yehobitsville on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to hear more of my work, I host another one, a podcast called Not That Kind of Rabbi, right now co-hosting with Avram Rosenzweig. If you want to hear more Canadian Jewish stories, you can find them at the Canadian Jewish News' website, the cjn.ca. Thanks, and we'll see you next time in Yehobitsville.